Welcome to Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Get expert advice on a variety of topics and hear what Ottawa business people have to offer. Ask questions, get answers. This is Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Good afternoon once again. This hour, we're continuing our conversation reviewing issues and concerns facing just about all of us at one time or another, managing property and assets of a loved one or a friend at passing. Now, we've certainly mentioned this before, and we can't emphasize it enough, the importance of knowledge. When managing the requirements of a state's law, knowledge is key. Now, this monthly series of special shows helps shed light on ways to navigate this often most difficult process smartly and efficiently. Dave Watts with you as we welcome back Neil Milton, one of the team lawyers at Milton's Estates Law, based here in Ottawa. Good afternoon, Neil. Good afternoon, Dave. Always great to chat with you, Neil. Now, this hour, we're going to discuss joint ownership, and uh, if we have some time, we'll look into beneficiary designation, key areas of a state's management. Neil, I'm willing to bet that uh, joint ownership, when it relates to estate management, has to be one of the more difficult areas to navigate. Well, it is, Dave. It's one of the most difficult. It's also one of the most, uh, both powerful and the one of the ones that causes the most trouble. So, you know, the, uh, realtors love to say that buying your home is the most important financial decision you ever make. A shocking number of people don't know how they bought their home. So they come in, one of the, the surviving spouse comes to us and says, so uh, my spouse passed away. And I say, well, that's really a shame. And my condolences. Um who owns the house? <laughs> and they don't know. Uh, and including, they say, well, we maybe we owned it together, to which I say, great, does that mean tenants in common or joint tenants with a right of survivorship? And, you know, now people think, oh, goodness, this is going to be a bunch of legalese. But it's pretty fundamental who owns the house and who gets to inherit it. And those two phrases, you're going to hear them from me over and over, joint tenancy or joint tenants with a right of survivorship the clue is in the in the name or tenants in common so very very important differences huge differences to the estate and it's all about how you bought your house maybe 30 40 50 years ago certainly things change over the course of time too uh you know wills could change uh, from time to time uh, uh, perhaps designations change uh, from one family member to another uh, is it a complicated process to get to to get to the bottom of really who owns it? Well, no. So it's um, it's thirty five bucks in a title search. So we can do it pretty quickly, um, and all we need is the the address of the property. But we certainly need to do it. We can get to the bottom of who owns it. The difficulty, and so it's it doesn't trip things up in terms of you not knowing or not having the paper file. That doesn't matter. Ontario has a very good online registry uh, system for real estate. So we can find out what the result is. The problems uh, and the challenges often arise from the fact that if you didn't know way back when, uh, when you were making a will or not making a will, when you were doing your estate planning, uh, the consequences can be uh, for different choices can be very, very significant. So let me give you just sort of the classic example where it works, and then we'll t we can talk about the, the problems as you depart from that. So 
you know, you're married, you and your spouse, um, kids have moved away, um, you own your house together. If you own your house as joint tenants, it's going to be very, very straightforward. Uh, the succeeding one, the one who survives for longest, will end up as the sole owner. And it's not the case, actually, that the one who passed away first is removed from title uh, or it's transferred the property. What happens is they just drop off title. So the key is in that ownership of joint tenancy with a right of survivorship. And the second half of that right of survivorship means that the one who lasts longest ends up as the sole owner, uh, especially if you only have two. So, and and it's very simple uh, to tra- to affect that change in registration. So, me and my wife, we own the house together as joint tenants. If I die tomorrow, she can go to any real estate lawyer, real estate lawyer, with a death certificate and transfer the the title from the two of us as joint tenants. It's a deed of transmission. It ends up being just her as the sole owner. That's it, nothing else. Didn't matter what my will said, no probate required, no hoops to jump through, really, really simple, really powerful, really cheap. No taxes, no land transfer taxes, no estate taxes, no probate taxes. And if it's our family home, you know, there's no income taxes because it was our principal residence. So extremely powerful, easy, efficient, cheap, works great for a classic sort of beaver cleaver family where you have a long married couple. Now, you were saying, um, Neil, that that uh, essentially trumps the will, perhaps. Is that? Uh... It, it, it's not a perhaps. It's an absolute definitely. So let me take it one step further, you know, and why the things we're going to talk about today, and, and I suspect we won't have time to do all the beneficiary designations stuff today. We can do it the next time is that if in a classic family scenario, a spouse, two spouses uh, own a house together as joint tenants, it's going to pass to the surviving one. No, doesn't matter what the will says, doesn't matter what anything else says. As I described before, for a hundred, couple hundred bucks, one owner. If you had joint bank accounts, exactly the same thing. If you had done your beneficiary designations to your spouse on your TFSA, on your RRSP, on your RIF, exactly the same thing. And in Ontario, your spouse will inherit your pension. So if you have a spouse when you die and you had a, ben- a pension, your spouse is going to get it. So for most people, you know, I didn't mention the word will in that whole conversation. And those are your main assets, your house, your TFSA, your RRSP, your RIF, your pension, your bank accounts. Mm. Maybe even you had, maybe even you had uh, savings in the form of GICs that were joined. So all of those can pass to your spouse. No will, no probate, no probate taxes, and, and minimal income taxes. Mm. Minimal income tax is also a huge thing, but it's all about the spouse. We'll come back to that. All right. 
Experts on Call on Newstalk 580 CFRA. And our guest this hour, Neil Milton from Milton's Estates Law. They're located here in the Ottawa area on Fitzgerald Road, but you can find them at Ontario-probate.ca. Back in a moment with more on Newstalk 580 CFRA. We'll return with more Experts on Call on Newstalk 580 CFRA. Now back to Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Experts on Call continues on News Talk 580 CFRA with our guest Neil Milton this hour from Milton's Estates Law. And we're talking about joint ownership and we're going to touch on beneficiary designations as well along the way this hour. Uh, Neil, just before the break, we were talking about uh, simple examples, essentially, of joint ownership. But boy, I'll tell you, things do get complex and things get complicated. Let's talk about some problems that might arise. Right. So we were talking about the simple scenario, which is two long-term spouses uh, own the house as joint tenants with a right of survivorship. Makes perfect sense. Good situation. Easy, simple. So where do things get complicated? Well, they get complicated. Uh, it, it Life gets complicated. It's not actually the, the law that gets complicated. It's people's lives can often vary from that scenario. So there are two scenarios that make, can get things really weird. One is if you have a blended family. So this is your second or third or fourth marriage. Uh, and maybe you have kids from a previous marriage. And the other scenario where things can get quite complicated is where it's you're the surviving spouse. You no longer have a spouse and you think maybe you should make the, the property joint with one of your children. Uh, so that's, um, so let's take that scenario first. You know, we've got a surviving spouse early, first spouse passed away and the surviving spouse, uh, gets this brilliant idea that maybe I should put the house joint with, uh, one of my children and, uh, hey, I'm, Milton just told me I was going to avoid probate and probate taxes and income taxes, and this will all be great. Uh, trouble is, none of that's true when it's not between spouses, when it's between a parent and an adult child. Hmm. So one of the things we mentioned earlier, Dave, was, you know, hey, the will didn't matter at all. Well, now we get your, to into a weird situation. Let's say mom puts the house uh, joint with her eldest daughter, right? So she passes away, but she had a will. So eldest daughter is now the sole owner of the house. But the will says the estate, whatever that is, is supposed to be shared equally among all three kids. So which is it? the house goes only to the eldest daughter or the house is shared among the three kids. Mm. So until 2007, eldest daughter could comfortably say, meh, I get the house. It's all mine. Too bad. Too sad. Uh, joint ownership trumps the will. So in 2007, the Supreme Court of Canada said, you know, that's kind of creating some unfairness. We think we're going to invert the presumption. That's all they did is invert who the presumption. So uh, it no longer passes only to the daughter. The presumption is that daughter holds it in trust for the estate, and it should be divided however the will said in accordance with with the estate. Now, daughter can rebut that that presumption if, for instance, mom left a note either 
in the will or separately that said, no, 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 I want this house to go exclusively to my oldest daughter because whatever the reason is. Uh, and so it's what we call a rebuttable presumption uh, but the, of a trust. So the presumption is that the daughter is not the sole owner of the house. The presumption is she holds it in trust for the estate, and it should be divided however the estate is to be divided, whether that's with a will or if there's an intestacy in accordance with the law of intestacy in Ontario. So the law of who gets what when there's no will. But uh, there's this rebuttable presumption. So right away, you can see there's, there's a recipe for litigation right there. It's the kind of thing that um, brings joy to my my banker's heart, but not many of my <laughs> clients' heart, certainly to find out that if that uh, gift is not properly documented, it's going to be a source of quite a bit of angst and uh, controversy. What about a situation where, you know, maybe the, uh, the parents, if you will, the, the mom and the dad are, uh, in one particular province, but a, a, a sibling from maybe a previous marriage or something like that is living in another province. Does that create an issue? Well, it, it creates an issue, uh, potentially in, in, in all kinds of different ways. It's not, it's not in any way impossible on certain things. I mean, for instance, you can be an out of province executor. Uh, on a will. There's no problem with that. But for instance, if I go back to my example about the house and making it joint and people think, oh, this is such a great way to avoid probate taxes, and they stumble into income tax problems, which are way more important than probate taxes. You know, probate tax is one and a half percent in Ontario. Income taxes, there is no income tax in Canada that's one and a half percent. So just to, on the house, we have a principal residence exemption in Canada. So you don't pay income tax on the capital gains on your house if it's your principal residence. So if the owner dies and the owner, it was the owner's principal residence, there's no income taxes. But so if you go back to my scenario, mom made the house joint with daughter, but daughter doesn't live in that house. doesn't matter whether she lives out of the province or not. Daughter lives somewhere else. It's not her principal residence. And now we've created a tax nightmare because if mom made the house joint in 2000 and dies in 2022, nobody filed in 2000 saying, oh, by the way, mom has disposed of the property. But they should have Mm. because the taxes, the gain, and no one probably even did an appraisal in 2000. So how much did it go up in value between 2020? 2000 and 2022. I don't know, but that's what daughter should be paying taxes on because she doesn't have a principal residence exemption. So, you know, I'm, I'm a strong proponent. Don't put your house in joint tenancy with an adult child. It's unless that adult child is, uh, dependent on you. So for instance, if they're disabled in one way or another or unable to work, and this is part of your estate planning, that they will succeed you and live in the house and maybe they even live with you in the house now. Uh, But you need very careful, good advice. But just making some random child just because you think you will avoid probate taxes, it's (laughs) I say the, the, the savings in probate taxes get consumed so quickly in litigation. You know, you wouldn't believe it on a million dollar house. You're saving maybe 15,000 in taxes. 
which is sort of a file opening fee at most litigation firms. So it's not a very good way to save money. What about, uh, Neil, if uh, there's still money owing on the house? In other words, say the mortgage is still um, in, in play. How does that affect things? So the mortgage, you know, ultimately needs to be paid and it can be a very serious problem if the, I mean, ultimately the house has to be sold often. Uh, where it's a particular problem is if one parent, one spouse owned the house solely in their name and now they pass away, the uh, surviving spouse cannot just renew the mortgage or extend the mortgage. And so you end up in this scenario where you certainly need to probate uh, quickly and you may end up having to sell because the surviving spouse may not be able to get a mortgage uh, in their own name and based on their own credit score and finances and that sort of thing. So I also want to talk about two other, uh, a couple of other things. One is is joint bank accounts. So joint bank accounts, exactly the same principles uh, that I was discussing earlier, applying. Great if you want all your money to go to your surviving spouse. Terrible as a way to give money to your children. And even worse, as a way to get your child to be your power of attorney. So classic scenario, dad, you know, is in his 80s. He's running out of steam on interest in going into the bank. And some bank teller says, oh, why don't you put your daughter here, who's very nicely brought you in this morning? Why don't you put her on your bank accounts as joint? You know, if you're going to get your your legal advice from your bank, you're going to get the kind of legal advice that you <clears throat> maybe you deserve. Uh, that's a terrible excuse for what would be a properly drafted power of attorney document because you end up in exactly the same problem on death. Was that money supposed to go exclusively to daughter or was it held by daughter in trust for the estate as a whole? And the law right now in Ontario is that it's presumed to belong to the estate and doesn't go to daughter unless daughter can prove that a gift was intended. And as a source, if you really want to cause disputes among your children, this is a perfect way to do it. Um, you know, make one of them the sole owner of a couple hundred thousand in GICs and then let them duke it out after you pass away. So it's, um, you know, I'm sorry to be flippant, but it's, it's a really bad way to to manage things when a properly drafted power of attorney document to get your daughter to assist you with your finances is what you should be doing. So be careful of these joint ownerships of bank accounts. And equally, if one of your siblings is telling you, no, 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 I get everything from mom, you get nothing, call a lawyer because that they may be out to lunch. They may not know what they're talking about and you may have quite a few rights. So. Our guest this hour is Neil Milton. He's uh, a lawyer from Milton's Estates Law. You can find them in Ottawa, as we mentioned, on Fitzgerald Road and their website, ontario-probate.ca. Quick break. We'll be right back on News Talk 580 CFRA's Experts on Call. We'll return with more Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Good afternoon. If you're just joining us, welcome. 
Great conversation this hour with Neil Milton from Milton's Estates Law. Great information, things you need to know when dealing with an estate, dealing with wills, dealing with anything to do with estate management uh, on the death of a friend, certainly, or a family member. Very difficult times, but uh, getting the right advice and the right knowledge uh, base certainly makes things an awful lot easier. We're talking about joint ownership. Uh, uh, Neil, before the break, we were looking at some basic scenarios, but things do get complex and convoluted, I suppose, uh, when uh, there might be a common law relationship on the go, for example. Well, that's right, Dave. So the, when I refer to what I call the simple scenario and where joint ownership, the classic joint ownership of a house works so well is where you have a long-term stable marriage um, or it can be common law or but uh, or, or a traditional marriage, but where you ha- have two people who are the parents of the same children. So, uh, and in that case, it's talked about how incredibly powerful joint ownership is because it, it, it trumps the will. The will's irrelevant. The surviving spouse takes, takes sole ownership of the property. No taxes, uh, very easy to do, all good. So one of the most common scenarios, though, that can cause a lot of uh, discomfort for folks is where this is not the first uh, go-round for folks, and that they have children from previous relationships that they want to benefit from their estates. So you've got uh, husband and wife who are not mom and dad for the same set of kids. And mom and dad or uh, own a house together, if we just did it as joint tenants, uh, then the surviving one of the pair is going to be the sole owner. And you could well imagine that then when they pass away, uh, the house might very well pass to their kids exclusively under whether they have a will or not. So if they have no will, then definitely the kids will be the only people who inherit from their estate. And if they have a will, it's not that common uh, that people have drafted in their stepchildren into their uh, will. It's quite common, actually, if the relationship is formed when the kids are young and so the stepchildren really feel like children. It's quite uncommon when uh, the relationship is formed later in life when the children are adults. So you can see pretty quickly how that can be quite unfair. Mom and dad or uh, husband and wife buy a house together uh, pool their resources, buy a house, uh, dad passes away, mom's the sole survivor, uh, she doesn't have a will, she dies, and all the house goes to her kids. And dad's kids get nothing. Mm-hmm. So uh, so what can you do about that? Well, the obvious thing to do would be for when mom and dad or husband and wife bought the house together, not to buy it as joint tenants with a right of survivorship, but to buy it as tenants in common. Literally, it's a different box that the lawyer checks when you bought the house. But you buy it as tenants in common, that means each of you owns 50%. So if dad passes away, 50% of the house passes into his estate. Doesn't go to mom, uh, to, to wife. And equally, wife passes away, her half of the house goes into her estate. Now, her will might say, hey, my half goes to my husband. (laughs) So same result, for instance, but it doesn't have to. And it could say, as is quite common, um, my spouse can live in the house 
as long as they want. But when they choose, they die or sell the house, my half goes to my kids. So there you've blended two important things. One is the notion of tenants in common, and one is the notion of a life interest or a life estate. So that second component, that was that they can live there as long as they want, that can actually be quite complicated. But the first part, tenants in common instead of joint tenants, is really, really powerful. And it remind people, just think about buying a house with a friend. You don't buy your house with your friend as joint tenants. I mean, why should they inherit your half? If the two of you go out and buy a house that you're going to rent out as a rental property, you're going to buy it as tenants in common. And you might even buy it in various different percentages. I put up 75% of the money. You, Dave, you put up 25%. Are you richer than I am? Maybe it's the other way around. So, you know, we're going to actually fix that percentage when we buy the house and it will be registered on title. If you and I buy a house as 50-50 tenants in common, if I die tomorrow, my 50% does not go to Dave Watts. Mm-hmm. My 50% goes to my estate. And uh, and then I can do a will or not do a will, but at least my half is not in the Dave Watts retirement fund. So, uh, you know, that little difference, enormously significant. Now, here's the other little I mentioned that when when a joint tenant passes away, it's really quite simple to transfer or leave the title standing in the sole owner. Equally, if you bought your house as joint tenants, it's quite straightforward to convert it to tenants in common. One of the two joint tenants, all they need to do is walk into a lawyer and say, I don't want to own this as joint tenants anymore. I wanted to own it as tenants in common. And you split the, the property. So if you made a mistake when you bought it, it's not a big deal to fix it. But you need to fix it before one of the two owners passes away. And so there, you know, you're, you're always saying, you know, the importance of information. Yes, it's the importance of information. None, I never mentioned the word will in this whole thing, really. But it's about how you own your house. And it's the importance of getting it right with the real estate lawyer. And, uh, I, you know, I've all this information, if you've, I know it's complicated and I've gone over it quite quickly. There's a whole section on our website just about who inherits what and especially about different ways of owning real estate. I strongly encourage people to read it uh, and show it to their parents and to think about it and think about which way is best for your family. And and I say, then you can go off to any real estate lawyer and and make sure you've got it fixed up uh, properly. Nothing to do with making a will. Well, that's uh, and that information, as you say, is on your website, ontario probate dot ca uh, neil i'm curious regarding joint ownership um it's sort of connected at the at the hip i suppose you could say with beneficiary designations i know that's part of what we're going to talk about in in coming shows but uh, perhaps we should touch on that uh, initially uh, at this point w- what are your thoughts yeah yeah we should and because uh, they they warrant a longer complicated discussion especially about things like taxes but the people tend to put them all together and it's important to realize that there there are these subtle differences so i mentioned for instance, that joint ownership of bank accounts is now treated like joint ownership of houses. And if it's with an adult child, then you've got yourself this 
potentially challenging situation where it might legally pass to the child, but the child holds it in trust for the estate, right? None of that applies, though, to beneficiary designations. If you designate the one beneficiary of your TFSA or your RSP, they get it. That's it. That's all. They get it. It can be enormously unfair. It's one of these things that often you talk about old and outdated. I mean, people opened their RSP in 1980. I've certainly seen people who opened TFSAs, RSPs, and insurance when one of their children wasn't born. You know, so one of their, so there's only one child designated as a beneficiary on these things. Subsequently, they have another child, but they don't fix it. They pass away. And it goes 100% to the person named on it. So the key thing for the average person to remember is if you name your spouse, it's all good. If you start naming children, it can get painful fast. It can get painful to your family. It can get painful to your taxes. So be really careful. And if you've done it in the past where you've named a child – on one of those products, a TFSA, an RSP, a RIF, or a piece of life insurance, you at the very least, you need to tell your lawyer that clearly so that when they're drafting the will, you can talk about it with them. Because otherwise, it can be a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Now, if some of these things get forgotten in the process, can they be added later? I'm thinking- yes, they can all be fixed. They can all be fixed while you're still alive. So that's the good news. So while you're alive and, I, you know, in, to be serious, while you still have capacity, which is an, a really relevant consideration nowadays. A lot of people, uh, the last five, ten years of their life, they probably shouldn't be making big uh, financial decisions and changes to their estate plan. I always get very skeptical about people in their late 80s and 90s making radical changes to their estate plan. But for instance, if if you say to your lawyer, I want everything to go to my three kids equally, what the lawyer should be doing is saying, right, do you have a TFSA? Do you have an RRSP? And if so, at least tell me where they are so I can write right in the will that I'm overruling any previous beneficiary designation. So if the will specifically addresses them, the will will triumph. But if it doesn't specifically identify them, the old beneficiary designation will still trump. Now, you can also go into the bank or wherever and change them, but but it's really a powerful tool that if you do it right, you you in your will, you can trump all the designations. So there's nothing, you know, it, it, with the proper information and with the proper thinking uh, and awareness, everything can be solved and can be solved relatively inexpensively. But if you don't solve it and you pass away and there's only one child named on one of those things, it's going to leave some really hurt feelings. Experts on call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Neil Milton's our guest from Milton's Estates Law. Quick break. We'll be right back. We'll return with more experts on call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to experts on call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Experts on call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Neil Milton is our guest. Milton's Estates 
law, the firm you need to know to get the answers you need for a smooth transition at the point where a loved one, a family member, perhaps a friend, has uh, passed on. This hour, Neil, we've been talking about joint ownership and uh, for the benefit of uh, listeners just coming on board with us uh, right now, late into the show, perhaps we can kind of touch on some of the, the hot points, some of the uh, real key issues that they might need to know. Yeah, David, I think, you know, this is such a fundamental issue and uh, surprisingly a big shock to a lot of people. So I certainly think it's worth repeating. It's worth refreshing people's memories uh, about what what the consequences are here. And, you know, there's lots of talk about wills, but a lot of the time you heard from me at the top of the show was for a, a long married couple, the average family the will is your, of the first person to die is irrelevant. It doesn't matter at all because if you own the house jointly, you have a bunch of beneficiary designations on your savings, maybe in your non-registered savings, so GICs and like, are joint. Everything goes to the surviving spouse. Will doesn't matter. So incredibly important incredibly easy and efficient when you have a long married couple scenario. In almost every other scenario, I, I refer to especially beneficiary designations are weapons of family destruction. So if you use them badly and you're not in a long-term married uh, relationship scenario or you're in a second or third married scenario, you have the potential to really cause a lot of hardship. And that's without talking about the taxes, which we'll talk about another time. So to refresh people's memories, if you own a house as joint tenants with a right of survivorship, the surviving person takes sole ownership because the first person to die just drops off title. Works great with a long married couple. Doesn't work well at all with if the surviving is an adult child and doesn't work well at all if you were intending, if it's a second or third marriage and you were intending your kids, not your spouse's kids, to benefit from your half of the house. People like to think they own half a house, but if you are joint tenants, you don't. It's like owning half of a river. You, you don't uh, when you're joint tenants because you can't separate whose is whose is whose and what's is what. So really important to understand the difference between joint tenants and tenants in common. In a tenants in common scenario, then the each person owns their respective share and their respective share goes into their estate and is governed by their estate. So completely different scenario from a joint tenancy scenario. Tenants in common, very effective for uh, when you have a second or third marriage type scenario where you want to benefit your children for your half of the house and your spouse will benefit their kids from their half of the house. You know, much of that carries through into financial matters. So especially on just bank accounts, uh, joint tenancy works great. Uh, and often there you can use it uh, even more powerfully for a lot of married couples. You know, unless you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in a joint bank account, uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, to have the survivor uh, access the funds and carry on. Um, but if you have 
many uh, big savings then and you had for that kind of blended family scenario you wanted one set of one set of charities or one set of children to benefit from your assets uh, you need to be more careful and beneficiary designations as you and I talked about are even more so because there's no presumption of a resulting trust there's nothing that deals with the adult child scenario the way there is with joint ownership with beneficiary designations the beneficiary will get it unless the will specifically overrules it in all other scenarios the wills irrelevant it goes to the beneficiary and even if that's your ex-wife <laughs> You know, you could be divorced if you've left it sitting on a beneficiary designation. Yeah, they might get it. So if you're looking for something to clean up and you wanted to, to declutter a little, uh, making sure that you've cleaned up your beneficiary designations, either by going into your financial institution. You can find them online at most uh, or at least the form to change them for many of them is online or you do it in your will and you make sure the will trumps whatever was on file at the bank. Now, these services, uh, Neil, and certainly information on uh, the items that we've spoken about are available for review on your website as well. That's right. That's right. And and this is a perfect example of something we have essentially nothing to do with. You know, we don't practice real estate law, so we're not going to change the title of your house. Well, if you need a referral, we might be able to help you. But the information is there because I know people need it. And the same is true with beneficiary designations. We're not in the business of taking you to the bank to fix your beneficiary designations at your bank. But I want people to understand what they've done uh, and and what their choices are, what their, what their rights, what their obligations and their choices are. So all that information is there for free. It's it's in the it's on the web pages. The decent there's a search tool on the site is also in the ebook so for instance there's a probate ebook it's a pdf you can if you're a little more old school you can download it quickly you can print it you can read it you can share it i certainly heard from another number of people it's a very useful tool when they're trying to have these conversations either with their spouse or with their uh, parents is to have the tools from our site because you know we have no dog in that fight we're not we're not trying to convince anybody how they should manage their estate so people can get this independent honest assessment of hey here's what the law is and you can take it and go look at it. Last group of people that it's really useful for is there are a lot, unfortunately, of children on the wrong end of these joint ownership scenarios where, say, the house or a bunch of accounts went to one child and the other child is left out in the cold. Uh, certainly, we act for many of them, and many of them didn't know they had any rights at all until they looked at our website. So. Wow, there you go. And that website is Ontario-probate.ca. And Neil, I want to mention too for the listeners that this is uh, an, one of a number of a series of estates law discussions that we are having. And uh, in addition to experts on call here for sure, uh, they are also posted on your website at Ontario-probate.ca. We are right out of time. A great hour. Thank you so much, Neil. Great chatting with you once again. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Neil Milton with Milton's Estates Law. Again, you can find them here in Ottawa on Fitzgerald Road, but the best way to get to them, certainly via their website at Ontario-probate.ca. Dave Watts here. Have a great day. News is next on News Talk 580 CFRA.